Welcome to Huddle Home Office. I'm Mark Legere. In 2015, I was the first editor of the cannabis culture digital magazine, Civilized. At the time, I closely followed the legalization of cannabis and the evolution of the industry in both Canada and the United States. The federal and provincial governments were very much focused on health and safety issues. I looked at things more through an economic development lens and favored a private sector, small business approach to the development of the industry where there would be lots of privately owned growing operations, product developers and marketers, cannabis cafes and retail outlets, a diverse and growing sector that looks something like the craft beer industry. Even though I wasn't a cannabis consumer myself, I was excited by the potential of the industry to help breathe new life into the region's economy. Well, there have been some bumps along the way. Homegrown companies like Organogram have had their ups and downs, which you could follow through the rise and fall and rise of their stock price and market cap. Cannabis NB had operating losses for the first year, and then the government announced it would be privatized. In the years since, the publicly owned retailer started making money and it dropped plans to find a private operator after an aggressive opposition movement led by local companies, organizations, and cities. Industry leaders say a sector that now employs 2,000 people in New Brunswick is primed for growth. I wanted to know what that future looked like, so I invited two of them to chat with me on the show. Brennan Sisk is the coordinator of the New Brunswick Cannabis Office. Tanner Stewart is the founder of Stewart Farms, which makes cannabis-infused bath bombs and operates a fish farm. We'll find out more about how those two businesses work together in a few minutes. First, let's welcome Tanner and Brennan to the show. Hey, Tanner. Hi, Brennan. Hey, Mark. How are you guys doing today? Very good. Fantastic. So, uh, Brennan, where do we find you today? Well, I'm in Fredericton, New Brunswick at the uh, home office um, in, uh, in my rocking chair. It's like I was saying earlier, I feel like I need a uh, shucking knife and a, and a bucket of oysters, uh, just like uh, when I used to watch my grandfather rock his, his rocking chair. <laughs> he used to gross me out. He'd just, he'd just suck on those oysters, raw as can be. <laughs> No, no, I, I, I love it. I love it. It's, you know, the, the home office, it should have its comforts. And, yeah. and this is a first. I love the rocking chair as part of the home office setup. <laughs> yeah. And Tanner, where do I find you? Uh, I'm in uh, Stuart Farms uh, head office uh, or HQ downtown St. Stephen uh, on our on our main and bustling street directly across the uh, road from the, the historic Ganung Chocolate Factory and uh, and museum and attached to the uh, infamous uh, pita pit made made famous by uh, by our, our friend James Mullinger who <laughs> who who uh, actually used to he had it as one of one of his uh, part of one of his bits uh, where he would pull out the newspaper and, and announce that the the pita pit was coming to St. Stephen and it's here and I eat there at least two to three times a week actually so <laughs> you're right across the street from some chocolate I actually um, interviewed uh, Brianna uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast and I made sure that I had a, a bar of uh, chicken bones uh, bark chocolate sitting beside me because I knew I was going to crave it. <laughs> yeah yeah no that's uh that's my my grandmother's favorite chicken bones I, I grew up with chicken bones in my house uh, uh non-stop actually <laughs> now i know you're in fredericton uh, brennan and uh, you're in saint stephen tanner but you're you're both from the miramichi god's country that's right uh i think uh, tanner you're, you're on the, the nelson side and i was on the uh the newcastle side it's 
it's all pretty much Miramichi City these days, but uh, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, Nelson's the heart of it and uh, really the most beautiful part. I mean, and everybody knows that. Now, I know both of you, uh, <laughs> we're going to get deep into the Miramichi conversation now. I just got, I just, I just alienated all of Miramichi except for Nelson is, is, is what just happened there. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Now I know you both come uh, from entrepreneurial backgrounds and, and not originally from uh, the cannabis space. Uh, so Brendan, why don't we start with you? Tell me a little bit, bit about your background. So I spent a lot of time in the waste energy sector. Uh, before moving on to co-founding a biotech company in Fredericton called Microdev Group, me and two other uh, two two co-founders, and um, I'm I'm not involved operationally uh, as of today, but um, uh, I'm still a shareholder and and uh, director of it. I am a technology transfer officer at the University of New Brunswick now. And uh, that's sort of um, how I got involved really with cannabis um, uh, with respect to uh, uh, a a project that had come up uh, called the Cannabis Coordinator. And so I was seconded to to run that project. And we wanted to uh, we we wanted to get started 10 months before legalization um, just because there was a lot of moving parts. Uh, and essentially the, the, the role of the cannabis coordinator was to try and coordinate between government industry and academia. Uh, everyone had the same goals, but, but we're running at a different pace and, and sort of had a lack of under, which is understandable, lack of understanding of, of how each, each stakeholder works. And, and sometimes that's even true within a stakeholder group, uh, you know, government line departments and, and different academic institutions. So we wanted to be 10 months before legalization to start intaking, you know, entrepreneurs like, like, uh, like Tanner and, and working with uh, licensed producers um, and academia and starting that process early. But we ended up uh, being able to scrounge together the funding uh, 10 months after. Uh, so we were sort of a little bit behind the, the eight ball to begin with. A lot of things were happening. Industry was running at breakneck speeds, uh, dealing with all, all sorts of issues. And um, uh, so we we did get underway, and then four months later, a pandemic hit. <laughs> so the idea was really to get get stakeholders all in one in in one room through different different events, research connectors, um, you know, tours, these kinds of things help facilitate those those types of activities but with with covid and lockdown that just went out the window so we retooled and created the uh the east coast cannabis hour and uh, switched through a, a a greater online presence than we had really originally intended and uh, so since then we've done a few podcasts um and uh it's it's been going reasonably reasonably okay but it's um you know, uh, it's uh, it's constantly moving, moving target. So, what is the kind of the, the the function of the office? How would you describe it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's really, um, for the lack of better terms, uh, you know, sort of a concierge, um, and there's a lot of um, it, 
we, we could probably use 10 <laughs> in the uh, in, in in this role just because of the amount of coordination and and things that are going on there's all kinds of stuff that gets uh, you know that slips through the cracks and um, but the idea is to really help facilitate the the communication between government industry and academia and help a lot help align some of those opportunities and and identify gaps um, in in why maybe things aren't progressing. Uh, like I said earlier, just today that um, you know, in talking to um, folks that that are in government, they you know express that they can't operate in certain ways, and that makes it difficult when they're engaging with industry. And it's it's that discussion that needs to happen. And so part of the mandate is to eventually. Uh, be able to come up uh, with uh, with a bit of a transition plan where we have an organized industry um, led organization both provincially and regionally, and uh, we can probably get into that later. But uh, Tanner's part of Tanner's drive here recently with respect to the sale of of cannabis NB uh, really helped that uh, sort of so really helped gel the industry it was sort of ah sometimes we don't agree on on everything but we can we can agree on this so yeah it was kind of like an alien invasion and and we uh and we all <laughs> we all came together very swiftly and abruptly to uh to uh, uh at least support the efforts to uh hold back the invasion because uh, you know the the sale of cannabis nb to a private monopoly um, we all agreed, the industry and, and Brennan and, and Chief Roger Augustine, we, we all agreed it wouldn't be good for the province. And, and it was a very swift coming together to uh, to try to make our voices heard, I suppose. And I want to dig into that issue for sure um, in a few minutes. But before we do, uh, Tanner, I wouldn't mind getting a sense from for you uh, about your, your path, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur and, uh, and how you got into the cannabis space. You know, I grew up in in Miramichi, New Brunswick, and uh, at a, at a high school, I spent uh, spent uh, two and a half seasons, I believe it was, tree planting, and uh, I didn't see fourteen weeks of work a year as a viable long term career path. Although I loved every minute that I planted trees, and I was lucky enough, one of my father's friends, his name's Gordy Howe not the hockey player. Uh, he actually got me a job in the oil sands and that was a great opportunity to get at a Dodge, so to speak, and, uh, uh, get, get, uh, some, you know, a, a well-paying job, uh, in Fort McMurray. So I, I, I went West landed there and within that was 2015. And by 2017, I had started a welding company, uh, because I was an expert, uh, uh, pipe fitter so quickly a year and a half in when really that's the opposite. I was a mediocre pipe fitter, but, uh, but I saw an opportunity, bought a welding truck, put a welder on it. And then I started my, my journey as an entrepreneur. And I, I built that company, uh, to $20 million in revenues. And we had 110 tradespeople working, uh, for us in, 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 in six years. So, so that was year number six, we did 20 million and we had 110 pipe fitters, welders, iron workers in the field and in the shop working for us. Um, and you know, 
I like to say that I did everything right by accident in those first six years as as an entrepreneur. Uh, then I sold half of the company and uh, and uh, to a large entity. Um, and then within the next two years, uh, uh, you know, we 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 peaked at 220 tradespeople. But that company I sold my my first company to essentially kind of caved in on itself and took everything I had built in that eight year period with it, uh, in one, in one foul swoop. So TFL industrial and, and, and what had at the time felt like, you know, almost a decade of my life just poof disappeared. And, 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 uh, uh, but luckily two years before, you know, right at the time I had done the, um, I had done the sale, uh, I sold, the, the the business uh, or half the business anyways and then they took the other half later uh, to that entity uh, I had got into indoor agriculture technology so I invested in a company called Nutriponics and it was focused on leafy greens and aquaponics so the marriage of the marriage of fish and plants together uh, in in an ecosystem so I fell in love with indoor agriculture. Um, and that was about seven years ago. That was right at the time that my, my first son was being born. That'll always, that'll always be the, the, the age of my son will always be the same length of time that I'll have been in the agriculture technology space. Cause it was, and, and I, and I blame him for it because he, he, he was on his way and I was panicking and I was like, what am I doing? Because I love the construction industry. I'm still in it, but, but I, I, you know, I was like, this isn't changing the world. I'm, I'm building ladders and stairs. And <laughs> so I need to find something else that, that, that I can get into. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so here today, um, I run C- Stewart Farms here in St. Stephen, New Brunswick. Uh, we're, 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 it's an agriculture, agriculture technology company, you know, as, as the backbone of, of what we do. Uh, we're still farming fish. We're we're doing research and development on on the interaction of of the nutrient that's produced in our fish farm and how that's interacting with with the cannabis plants. Um, but our uh, but our front facing kind of cover, or I don't know if it's cover, but but our, our front facing business is we're actually a topicals company. So we're selling bath bombs uh, basically across Canada, cannabis infused uh, bath bombs. So so that's kind of the kind of the journey uh, from so i went west did some things and now i'm back in new brunswick uh doing these things so yeah so tell me a little bit more about the connection between um the, the plants and the cannabis and and the fish operation so how does this all work together and and uh how did this idea to occur to you well i mean really the whole thesis behind aquaponics farming which is the marriage of land-based fish farming and plant production is is just copying nature right because in nature uh you have plants and animals that work together in an ecosystem um so the the whole underlying theme like when you when you're an aquaponics farmer you're immediately committed to uh turning waste streams into revenue streams. And that's why you're marrying these two businesses together. You're saying, okay, I've got a fish farm and I'm producing ideally healthy proteins for people in the food industry. And we have this waste stream that, you know, people go to Canadian Tire to buy fish fertilizer because it's so darn good. 
for your garden. Well, you know, New Brunswick is no stranger to fish farming, but what is most commonly thought of from fish farming, especially offshore, offshore fish farming, is that it's this pollutant. And, and, and it is because nothing, nothing is happening with it, right? You know, you're, we're, we're, we're taking all this valuable microbe-rich, nitrate-rich fertilizer, and typically it goes nowhere, Right. Uh, so that that's really the whole thesis behind it. It's it's let's put two complementary businesses beside each other and let's use the fish farm as a fertilizer factory. And let's use the fertilizer to grow organic food or medical crops. And, and honestly, it's it's really the, the future of all businesses. It's it's you know uh, how do it, it's it's you can't just eliminate waste. You, you need to go. The, to the next level and you need to say what you know how do i turn this waste into a product and how do i make money off of it right because you know it's it's that old saying one man's trash is another man's treasure right can, can i make a can i make a point um to to one of the first times i met tanner um tanner you had made the comment that you're an example of how the fossil fuel sector is is making investments into sustainable, more sustainable technologies, right? That there's you, you've 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 made you've made money in one sector and you're transitioning it in, into in another to establish another economy. And I think I think it's important to highlight, given all the, the the conversations about sustainability and greenhouse gases and that that's uh, that's going on. And the uh, the the second point with respect to the the the, the fish waste. As a as a value stream coming out of uh, a business like Tanner's is that it, it will likely be at some point that you're producing more fertilizer than you can use and and with an emphasis on controlled environment agriculture as an example here in New Brunswick that it could you know we're talking about establishing a circular economy and uh, and uh, one of the neat things about fish waste in terms of safety is the E. coli. I, I remember that that one thing stuck out of the presentation that we uh, we had sat in, um, which is you know from a from from a safety perspective when you're irrigating with with, with fish waste, the E. coli the, the the strain of E. coli doesn't affect human beings. Am I am I correct, Tanner? Yeah. So so like that comes from my leafy green days. Um, you know most when you talk about food production, well, one of the, and one of the most dangerous things people eat these days is lettuce and, and leafy greens, because, you know, about once or twice a year, we hear about this, this group of people or a few people passing away or dying because of this E. coli. Typically it's in leafy greens, right? Well, well, that comes from the fertilizer. The majority of the time it's from the fertilizer and with a cold blooded animal, like a fish, their manure is not conducive to E. coli. So, so when you look at an aquaponics farming system, there's actually some safety benefits built into having have using fish fertilizer as opposed to, you know, in typical outdoor agriculture. Well, it's it's cow manure or sheep manure or or, or what have you. Um, so there is a bit of mitigated mitigated risk. Um, and and I'll go I'll go to your first comment there too, Brennan, because I think it's. I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's I think it's a really important uh, thing to talk about. So I I am an environmentalist in 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 at least my version of 
of, you know, every, every sense of what people think that is, right? I'm focused on water conservation, uh, sustainable packaging, turning waste streams into revenue streams. But my entire business, Stewart Farms, was funded by myself and my shareholders. And, and the majority of my shareholders are actually from Alberta. And they have run construction companies. And they uh, have, from in one way or another, earned all of their revenues, uh, either directly or indirectly, from, from the oil sands, right? Um, so, you know, there, there's such... There's such a, you know, the the sustainable narrative, the extreme sustainable narrative is shut everything down. (laughs) Shut it all down. Shut everything down right now. Turn the cars off. Turn the oil industry off. um, You know, and let's just go to the new economy, right? Well, you know, my focus, my focus is on, you know, farming and the damage that agriculture, the current system of agriculture does environmentally, right? The CO2 footprint that comes from monocropping and and using chemicals in in agriculture. But I would never say shut it down because these are real people with real families. And we have something called the economy that needs to be managed, right? So when I speak about, you know, the need to change the way we farm, I talk about the five to 10 years that we need to help these farmers change the way they farm because they have to survive. We have to generate, people need jobs, right? And, and you know, there, there's, there's just such a disconnect between, between the reality of what truly needs to happen to, to reach an environmentally friendly, friendly future and what I, I don't think a lot of people realize is that when somebody's poor and they don't have a job, they don't care about recycling. They don't care about buying organic or buying the, the laundry detergent in the not plastic bottle because they can't afford to do that, right? They, they you know, like, like be, being a, a staunch environmentalist is a luxury. If you have the ability to, you know, survive and and only rail against, you know, particular industries just because you think they need to go away, there's a good chance that you've got some security in your life and that you're not worried about where lunch and supper is coming from tomorrow. And, you know, there there is a real proper way that, that Canada be, can become a leader um, in in the environmental transition to to a better future but you know attacking ourselves and and having our economy implode on itself and and alienating you know our energy industry and and you know and 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 you know calling monocultured farmers the enemy or calling the energy sector the enemy that's not how to do it right uh um but so, Mark, this is an interesting segue, actually, to into it, because that's part of my point, Tanner, is that it's an example of how how you can transition economies, right? It's it's a, it's an overtime thing, and and Mark, we're, I'm seeing the same things, the same sort of discussions, the the same views or uh, different views on timelines on how quickly things should happen. Some some are just it's overnight. 
And, and some like Tanner are, are like, well, no, this is going to be incremental change. And if we don't start today, we're one year and one day away from, from change, you know, or however, however long the time period is. And, um, and, and, and so the, we're seeing a lot of, uh, a, a lot of that phenomena, especially when it comes to uh, not, you know, we call them the not in, in, in my backyarders. One of the things that we're trying to do with the East Coast uh, Cannabis Hour is highlight that licensed producers and, and entrepreneurs that are in there are professional, serious people with a lot on the line. This is not a, um, an industry for the faint of heart. And, and the more people can, can grasp that understanding, um, I think the better we're going to be. And this is, this is going to be a transition over time, but I think Tanner, you're, you're spot on with, with it's, you know, those people aren't hungry. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that it, it, but we are seeing a lot of those challenges in the cannabis sector and, and that is really the discussion that we have, um, you know, on, on a very regular basis is how do we come together and talk about the, the order in which things need to happen and, and put an expectation of when they can possibly happen. Because, and, and even when we discuss that, then we got to look at, well, where are the mechanisms that enable that process? And they're not, I mean, they're not existent. Um, you know, Health Canada is is the is the regulator, and they're not an, an economic development entity. So so right there, that's I mean that's where we're starting. So how how can we how can we work with provincial jurisdictions and some of the pain that they have because they're constrained as well by by this the, the way that things are regulated and and I'm sure they would like well, as a matter of fact I know they would like to see some change, but. Um, I think we're much better off um, speaking as a region, feeding into that national discussion uh, to say this region, this this is possible, this is measurable, this is implementable, and sort of become a bit of a pilot for other jurisdictions. Um, but because it does two things, one, it could be uh, an example for other jurisdictions, that's one, but this region becomes interesting for investment attraction. Uh, when it comes to cannabis. So, uh, you know, it's, it's the same phenomenon. It's just, you know, the grass isn't greener on, (laughs) on somebody else's lawn. There's always struggles. And uh, we just have an opportunity here in, in this, this province. And I think the focal point that, that happened in, in recent uh, weeks, we, you know, I'd like to work with Tanner and, and everyone else in the New Brunswick uh, industry, but also in Nova Scotia and Newfoundland to, to say, you know, we were kind of effective coming together here. So how can we, uh, how can we do this uh, from a broader scope? And it's not to beat anybody else up, beat up on government, but it's to be at the table and, and discussing really important issues and understanding where they're coming from. Because the rollout and the decisions they made, the models they picked, were because of outside constraints. And like, I know that, you know, industry and academia don't even understand what those constraints are because nobody talks about them. It's probably a good time for us to touch on that cannabis NB issue with you two guys. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, there was the, the talk in the, you know, in the first, the years coming out of uh, legalization and cannabis NB being created that 
know, was a money loser and, and then along comes, uh, you know, a new government and, and the new government wants to sell it and announces the sale process. And then it starts to turn itself around and, and, uh, write itself and start making a profit. And, but you know, the sale process continues along. And then I know you started advocating from a sector point of view. And then, you know, this, the, the cities of New Brunswick came in, in behind and sort of advocated also to stop that sale process. So tell me a, a little bit about why that was such a, an important issue and how you were able to, you know, lobby to, 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 to stop it. So Tanner, I'm going to make one comment and then I'm going to throw it to you because you know, like I, when I'm sitting with with industry, I'm just sort of representing government and academia's perspective. So, but on on the on on that point, what you just said about the the profitability, they made that evaluation eight months in. Um, I don't know if you, anybody knows anything about retail. No one makes a it makes a profit in retail in the first year. Um, you know, so so the expectations were were. Uh, were 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 not appropriate, and then it became a political thing, right? It was a bit of a political hot potato. So, anyway, that's all I'll say. But Tanner, uh, fire away. Yeah, um, I mean, first off, I just want to say that, and this was only in the last three weeks, right? Like this is this is three and a half weeks ago that our industry, Chief Roger Augustine, came together. Uh, uh, you know, in Brennan you know, we all signed on to this letter that got initiated by the industry. And that was kind of step number one of of asking the government to pause the decision to sale to sell uh cannabis NB. We actually from the beginning, the entire industry uh and, and really anybody who who actually understood what the RFP was all about, like we understood that it was going to create a, a a private monopoly. So so the only regret I have about, you know, kind of what we did in the last three weeks is that we didn't do it sooner. However, it was really hard to counter the public perception before this recent few months because of the original narrative that was painted, right? And to Brennan's point, it doesn't mean that it was a correct narrative to begin with, but, you know, public perception is 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 finicky and and unless you can point and say like we can now and say listen this is a profitable asset it's really hard to counter what was the original narrative of well this is losing money we got to get rid of it right and then and then the way it was presented was that it was going to be privatizing the industry right and that wasn't correct either what it was was selling the entire industry to a single private buyer, creating a private monopoly for the next decade in New Brunswick. That was the real truth. That was that was the whole scenario. And as Cannabis NB was becoming more profitable, we were kind of taking it for granted as an industry that, okay, they're probably going to keep it and not go forward with, honestly, with what was an insane proposal to begin with. You know, who who, who would want any industry controlled completely privately in a, in any province, right? Or a private monopoly and a monopoly in any case, right? Uh, so then the CBC article came out that said the government was about to make a decision and we all panicked. And then when the cities came on, you know, we had 
the eight cities association, which is the majority of the entire province. We had Mayor Allen and my and, and future St. Stephen down here in St. Stephen. We had Moncton Chamber of Commerce, St. John Chamber of Commerce, all wrote letters and sent letters to the government uh, opposing this decision. And this all happened in about two weeks, two and a half weeks to push back against this decision. It was unbelievable, right? It was, it was, it was, it felt, you know, it was just amazing to be part of that. Uh, uh, you know, it was like, I was like all of New Brunswick came together and we were like, this is a bad idea. Yeah. Please don't do this. Right. And, and, and they didn't do it now. Now, now, you know, the, the announcement clarified that it was because they couldn't determine the proper value and really that they made the decision based on, uh, based on that, right? I mean, er- Ernie Steve said, you know, the industry was thanked for our interest or, or in in the in the in the matter, and and he said that they really couldn't pin down a, a valuation. So, whether or not our pushback had anything to do with it, it doesn't matter. What matters is they didn't do it, and that was the right decision. Not making that decision was the right decision for the province. Now, the next step is advancing the industry because our industry has been on complete pause for that entire RFP process for 18 months. New Brunswick came out the gate as a leader in in retail. Should it have been a government monopoly? Well, in my opinion, no. It should have been privatized right out the gate and they should have ran it at the warehouse. But the team at Cannabis NB was doing lots of innovative things leading up to that RFP process. New Brunswick was first in, in a lot of really unique things in the retail space and the cannabis industry. And then they just got handcuffed for 18 months. Well, now the handcuffs are off and the Cannabis NB group and team hopefully can start becoming the first in a lot of ways again. But but ultimately, Mark, the industry has to be privatized, all like truly privatized, not private monopoly. Every New Brunswicker, all three of us on this on this uh, podcast, and and you know any First Nation, any Saint Johner, any Miramichier, they need to be they need to have the option to open up a retail outlet, and then they can buy from the Cannabis NB warehouse. And what that will mean is dozens of more entrepreneurs, hundreds of more jobs, and millions and millions of more dollars in tax revenue for for New Brunswickers. It in in Tanner, I mean that takes um, that 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 takes an understanding of what free market is, right? Because the market is going to regulate itself. Um, because when you say that, a lot of folks are going to say, "Whoa, everybody's going to be, you know, every corner," and that might very well be in the first week. But <laughs> the market's going to settle out it, itself, and then you're, you're regulate itself in, in that respect. And I think. The question is, so, I mean, I, I, I view this um, in, in the same way as, uh, as you, um, in a sense, is that we have breathing room now. What is really the, the move forward and, and what are the incremental steps that we can take next to, to reach that? So the end goal is complete privatization of, of the value chain, we'll call it. And, and so what are the incremental steps um, that, that we need to do? And we need to understand that this is over a period of time. It's not in, it's not in months. Um, it, it'll, it'll likely be in, in years. And, uh, you know, every day we delay and, 
and having those discussions and, and figuring things out uh, is, is one day in that period of years away from something happening. Yeah. And, and I mean, the, where this conversation leads me in terms of the way I'm, I think about it is, you know, we, we came out of 2015 with that, you know, feeling after Trudeau was elected, like there was this world of possibility. Right. And, and, uh, and everybody was talking about cannabis being the next, you know, big sector that drove the economy. And, and, and then we, you form cannabis NB and it, and it struggles for a little while. Right. And, and as you quite rightly say, Tanner, I mean, I, I thought to myself the whole, that whole time, we're not, we're not giving this company, um, the, the runway to, to grow and learn and, and change and adapt. And like any business, it's going to need to in, in those early days. And, but I, I also remember just um, what I would say to be uh, these outsized expectations of what the industry could become right away, as opposed to what really happens, right? Which is that, you know, it'll take time to grow and mature. And whether you're talking about cannabis NB or a big licensed producer like Organogram or a company like yours, you know, there's going to be a growth trajectory and it's going to be, and sometimes it's going to be really fast and then it's going to dip down and come back again. I mean, all that to say is, um, you know, really wanted to get a sense from you guys, uh, you know, where you, after we're a few years into this, like where, where do we stand in terms of the development of, of the industry and what's possible uh, for the province? I, I can uh, just uh, comment on that, I guess. What I would like to see overall as we move, as we move forward is that the, the industry stakeholders that are, are their core markets are recreational and the industry stakeholders that their core markets are medicinal, and the industry stakeholders that their core market are, is industrial, are all at the same table. And we're looking at this friggin' industry as one plant with different characteristics. And and up until now, there's there's been this attempt to separate. Like for for the you know the last twenty years or so, the cannabis sector has been trying to distance itself from its you know the the. Uh, 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 the dealer cousin uh, that it has and and only through legalization has industrial hemp become a bit of a triple threat where now you can use the flower now you can you well you could always use the grain and you could always do stuff with the biomass but now there's there's this one one hectare or one acre um, that has all of these value adds and and if we look at the impact not just as a slice of uh, uh, like one of those aspects, but as a whole, um, Canada has a really huge potential to lead in many different, many different areas of, of the cannabis plant. Um, and if you pull it down to New Brunswick, we've done a lot of genetics work in potatoes. All of that is transferable skills. Um, and, and when you talk about biomass conversion, we're not foreign to that either. So, and when you talk about the grain, Grain has high protein and high fatty acids. We have an agriculture sector that's thirsty for it. So is there an alignment here that we can make, we can identify in, in New Brunswick that's kind of unique where you have an, a cannabis sector and you have an aquaculture sector? Can you make the marriage between the two? And research, develop, pilot, and export technology and know-how and capture market share on the way. That's where I would like 
you know, if we're talking about Kumbaya, <laughs> that's where I would like to see things sort of evolve. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I, I, am just going to platform on what Brennan's saying, and, and to, to, to answer where we're at, Mark, we're at the very beginning. It's still the beginning of the beginning, right? And, and, and to, to comment on the expectations that were set. Now, Organogram has always been a company, one of the publicly comp- traded companies that I've admired, and they've set reasonable forecasts and reasonable expectations. And they're one of the best performing companies in the industry financially and, and, and you know, technology-wise and et cetera, you know, right here in New Brunswick, right in Moncton. But companies like Canopy set, you know, and, and, and some, of the other, some of the other not as accurate players, they're the ones that, that said all of these things are going to happen overnight, right? Overnight, there's going to be a billion dollar drink market. Overnight, there's going to be, you know, a multi-billion dollar edibles market. <clears throat> Those predictions are correct, but it's not overnight. We're, we're, we're three years into it and it's going to be over the next three, four, five years you know, those that the industry is going to grow to all the original predicted kind of revenue numbers and si- and consumer base and size. It's just over the next five years from today. And that'll be roughly roughly a, a, a decade in. But from a New Brunswick perspective, we can use cannabis and hemp and all of its offshoots as the tip of the spear for agriculture innovation and medical innovation. It's both. There's nothing else like it. There's nothing else like it. So so when you're talking about food security, okay, and, and the reinvigoration of the New Brunswick small family farm, well, if we organize the cannabis industry correctly, then every family farm can have a couple thousand square feet of high profit cannabis flower, medical cannabis flower. Maybe they've got 30, 40 acres of hemp feeding into fiber or feeding into uh, feeding into food in the nutrition uh, industry, right? And then maybe they can afford to grow some food. So as somebody who was farming lettuce for three years, I can tell you, you know, there's not a lot of money in food because people don't have a lot of money, number one. And, and you know, food should be cheap. We should do everything humanly possible to uh, enable Canadian farmers to farm food and keep it at a very, very, very reasonable price. So hemp and cannabis and all the offshoots and products can be used to do that. and. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that we need to keep working at as an industry is to help New Brunswickers and Canadians understand, number one, this is a globally emerging industry. This province is leading in a globally emerging industry. We have drug factories and farms. Like, when's the last time you heard, you know, when's the last time drug manufacturing facilities popped up in this province? I'm not sure, but we have some of the leading cannabis facilities in the world, right? Um, There's been, you know, Organogram just got $221 million invested in them. They're popping up 50 jobs dedicated to research and product development. This just happened two weeks ago. When's the last time a New Brunswick company had a $220 million investment infused uh, into it, right? Right before this phone call, I was on, I was on uh, a, a kind of a, an intro call with a microbiologist based at University of New Brunswick. 
And, you know, next in, in another two weeks, I've got a I've got a, a marine biologist starting work for me down here uh, who's going to look after research and development and quality control. A cannabis company is hiring a marine biologist. Right. These are the jobs that our industry is is creating. And and, you know, this this is I, I, I can't point to anything else that New Brunswick could lean into for less cost which is zero. We just have to cut red tape and get out of the way, <laughs> right? And put a little support infrastructure in place. You know, it's 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 every fiscal conservative's dream. You know, for all you fiscal conservatives out there to listen to this <laughs> podcast, uh, uh, all you got to do is cut taxes and cut red tape and watch watch the economy roar. I mean, and and listen, I grew, Brennan, you know, we 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 Brennan and I grew up in Miramichi. You know, you're St. Johner, right? You know, uh, we're pretty good at hash and weed and, and, uh, and, and, you know, there's a lot, a lot of green thumbs in this province. So, <laughs> and, and, and Brendan, what, what is, uh, what does the picture look like right now in terms of, you know, the employment situation, the number of companies? I mean, I know you, you've been talking to some of them on, on your podcast. Yeah. I mean, the industry to some extent is, well, right now is in a period of growth, but it, it, it has shed. Um, it has shed some 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 jobs. Um, that's both both a negative and a positive because you know Canopy uh, shut down, but Tanner's ramping up, and he's going to need he's going to need you know labor and and you know uh, Crystal Cure and Golden Peak and Tidal and 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 some of the um, uh, soon to be license licensed companies. There's a new one in Sussex, so. Uh, they're, there's going to need, they're going to need that talent pool. And I think, you know, to some extent we're going to have the ability to recycle already trained labor, which is good. And, uh, in New, in New Brunswick, there's, um, CCNB, uh, up in Northern New Brunswick has a training school, um, for, for specifically for cannabis producing cannabis, uh, in indoors. So, you know, slowly, but surely we're, um, we're, 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 we're positioning ourselves to, to fulfill that need. Um, but I mean, right now it's, I think it's, um, where, where there may be a, a, a struggle is with the highly qualified people and, and being able to make the transition into, into the cannabis sector. It's a bit of a learning curve, but you know, obviously Tanner's finding, fo- I'm, I'm, you know, <laughs> Uh, I, I'm not biased, but I'm glad to hear uh, you, you've got someone from UNB. <laughs> uh, but yeah. but the the uh, academic institutions here, uh, University of Moncton, is getting it just recently announced a research uh, a research chair. UNB has a research yeah. chair, so all of all of the academic institutions are are now starting to train future future employees HQP in in this sector. So uh, I, I think for right now, um, labor will not be, will not be an issue. And, and this, this industry is going to be a net um, provider of, of, of jobs. Well, well, people, people like, you know, this, this plant is so unique because people love it. Right. And, and you have, uh, security, IT professionals, um, QC professionals, bio, you know, research scientists, just farmers in general from all over the country that 
are more than willing to move from British Columbia or Alberta or what have you to come to New Brunswick because here's the sales pitch. It's like, you know, come and have some space, right? Buy some land, grab a house, work in an industry that you love. And we're leading in the industry globally. We're one of the leaders. So you can come to New Brunswick. We can compete. This is this is an industry where we can compete with Bay Street, with Toronto and Ontario, right? And and downtown Calgary and downtown Edmonton. Now, mind you, we're after the people that that want to live a little more of a rural life, but we have the equal opportunity in the cannabis space as any other province in Canada, right? Um, so so that that's really significant. So. We just have to lean in to it. And, and you know, there is very little stigma on aggregate, you know, in, and I'm just speaking from um, my own family's experience and I'm a New Brunswicker and I have a really hard time finding somebody whose parents or grandparents are even against it. In fact, the majority of the thing I hear from almost everybody I talk to is, oh, you know, my, my grandmother, she wants, she, she really wants to try one of those creams or I got her on those edibles now. And, you know, are they running around telling everybody that they're doing cannabis edibles to help them, you know, for their sleep or whatever, not necessarily, but there's, there's very little stigma. Uh, uh, it's, it's there. Don't get me wrong. It's there. Um, uh, I, I had a girl comment on, or an elderly lady on my uh, Facebook just the other day complaining about the stink of 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 cannabis right and uh and i i actually replied back to her and i said jobs stink mills stink mines stink jobs stink so that's right you know so pick your stink and you know we need jobs right so (laughs) yeah that's that's a that's a great quote tanner (laughs) (laughs) jobs stink jobs stink Um, (laughs) it, it what about the, um, the, you know, the export opportunities here? Cause I know you have, you have, uh, obviously the most prominent example is you have an organogram who's a licensed producer supplying like, uh, you know, right across the country. Uh, what about for you, Tanner? Like, are, is this a, a potential export industry? Yeah. I, I mean, I launched in Alberta at the same time as I launched in New Brunswick. Um, I, I, I came here specifically to export. Right. It's I mean, the reality of New Brunswick is if you want to build a huge company in New Brunswick, you're 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 you've you're coming here to manufacture and export. I mean, just it just is what it is. There's 750,000 people in New Brunswick. There's 30 million people in the rest of the country. And 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 there's many more people in Europe and the U.S. So so this is, you know, every New Brunswick entrepreneur should be primarily in an export mindset right out the gate uh and 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 also take advantage of being local and supply this local market and atlantic canada as well but it's just all in the numbers right um yeah and i mean i think so we we talked a little bit about well outside of this conversation when we were when we talk about food security it's the principle of uh having food security through export right and and potatoes we got more potatoes than we can shake a stick at because we're we're positive export in it and we're serving 
it's that research, develop, pilot, and export, and and we're grabbing market share uh, as as we we go along. And it's exactly what Tanner's have your eye on the ball and on export, and you're going to serve your domestic markets. Your domestic markets aren't your core markets. It might help you. They might help you grow uh, a little bit to get to get to build your exports, but. Um, yeah, I mean, everybody should have transformation and exporting on their minds. Yeah, yeah, and and it's really about logistics. So, like, we we just brought on BC and Saskatchewan this month, so we're in we're in four provinces now, including New Brunswick. Um, so, my next mission is to add Manitoba and maybe even the Yukon. And the reason is is that everything goes on the same truck, right? So, when you're operating in New Brunswick, you're taking advantage of electric electricity rates. It's the third cheapest electricity uh, in the country. Um, you know, uh, competitive labor rates, and there's lots of talent here. And the other side of it is that the the this economy needs a lot of jobs. So 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 we have uh, our industry has the opportunity to to grab a lot of talent uh, from the local uh, pool. And if we end up vacuuming talent from all these other businesses, well, that leaves a, a, a gap in their business and they have to bring somebody else in. So so it's it, it's just good for the province. Uh, Brennan, this is a question for you, but also a question for, for Tanner as well. What are the what are the, the, the regulatory hurdles to growth here? Like what does the government need to do to make sure that, you know, Tanner, as as you say, we you know get out of the way and let the entrepreneurs uh, innovate and and grow. Yeah, well, I mean, this isn't going to happen overnight. But number one, we need to get we need to get to a point where Health Canada isn't the core regulatory entity. We need to move it more toward like closer to the economic development door. Um, and from from a provincial perspective, it's sort of the same thing. We need to. We need to migrate because uh, right now it's in it's it's essentially in the Department of Finance's hands because 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 they usually deal with purchasing and 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 drugs and and things of that nature. Um, so it's in it's in their hands, and they're not an economic development agency either. So uh, that would be one of the big things that we need to 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 try and help migrate, and that goes to the mechanisms that I was talking about earlier. What are those mechanisms that we can put into place to, to sort of alleviate the, if I do this, what happens? And that's where I think partnerships with uh, academia uh, to look at, look at that, to model those types of things to say, look, if we make these changes, here's what it's going to look like downstream. And so, you know, policy and, and, you know, politicians and policymakers are people too. So, uh, they all have their own fears, and and if there's anyone that has stigma, maybe not necessarily on the subject of of cannabis per se, but the impact of the uh, the 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 decisions that they make, uh, that they <laughs> they have a you know there's there's some fear there. So I think that's probably the 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 bigger the bigger broader change. And I'm sure Tanner, like, you know, things keep him up at night. <laughs> like there's, you know, there's no end to it. So, um, you know, I, I, I would bow to his, his comments uh, and expertise on, on what he sees on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, uh, you know, the, the easiest lever for the, 
I mean, the province just needs to do everything, everything it can do as quickly as possible, because we are, we are really sucking, uh, uh, quarter here right now behind Ontario, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, BC, because of this 18 month cannabis NB, you know, handcuffed fiasco right so so you know brennan i i i we, we can't take years we have we we need actually to try to only take months and because that's like the the quickest thing that can happen is retail needs to be opened up and then mark then i have more places to sell my product in new brunswick right because i the reason i had to launch in alberta and new brunswick at the same time is because there was 500 stores in alberta and 20 in new brunswick and that is not cannabis nb's fault that's because for 18 months they couldn't do anything right um so in manitoba and saskatchewan there's about 60 retailers each and they're growing so uh that gives you an indication of how many retailers could easily be in New Brunswick. And I would argue there could be, probably be a hundred and, and, uh, and still survive. And then tourism, cafes, uh, uh, cafes, spas, right. You know, uh, that's all health and wellness driven. And, and that's just good, uh, for, for people. I, I would actually like to also see some, some cross pollination between, um, you know, craft brewers and craft cannabis, and is there is there co locations uh, that that are possible? You know, you talk about ecotourism. Some some folks don't consume cannabis and cannabis byproducts and derivatives, but they sure like their craft beer. So you know, it, there's all kinds of things once we start getting into this. And I mean, I you know, um, it it does need to take months. I I. I have my suspicion it's not going to be that, but I think if we uh, if we start working toward that, that that you know, it, maybe it'll be twenty four months. <laughs> we could say twenty four yes. months <laughs> that compromise. But but it, it um, it's like I said, if we don't start that process, it's definitely going to take years and years. We we absolutely need to to leverage. The, the attention that the industry's gotten, the, the, I mean, we, we got the municipalities involved, right? They're involved. They, they, they care right now. And, and so it's really about everyone reaching out and saying, what, what, what can this look like here? And it makes me, um, me think too, um, uh, sort of interrupt, uh, Brennan, but it was sort of on your, your thought and also on Tanner's, like, it makes me think too, that, that stigma and fear still plays a little bit of a role in this. And, and, and what I mean by that is um, bring up the example of the, the craft beer, you know, versus craft cannabis and how they might work together. Um, you know, I, I can walk home tonight and I can stop in about five, six places on the street on the way back to my home here in St. John and, and buy a couple of cans of beer, um, craft beer made by producers around the province. Um, you know, I go to the superstore and there's a great big banner that says, you know, breathe, we've got wine or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yet, yet cannabis NB has to sit there and not broadcast itself beyond a sign. And, and it makes me feel like there, there is still is that it's hard for us to let go and let this industry loosen up a bit, um, become yeah. more competitive, uh, become more accessible and available. And I can't help but think there's still a little bit of, uh, 
just a little bit of fear around around the stigma that's associated with this. And and it's based that that stigma and fear is contextualized in seventy years of, of reefer madness. Yeah, all built on complete lies and non-factual. Uh, uh, on the, no science, no facts, all lies. Right? It it literally, um, you know, once one is able to kind of pull back the curtain of, of, and, and it is, it is very generational. So if you're in that, if you're in that age range of, you know, 60 plus, you are far, far more likely to have embodied the 70 years of narrative that, or, you know, that you've been fed your entire life, which is weed is bad. It kills, it's addictive. It's all this stuff. It doesn't do any of those things. You know, anything is addictive. Uh, statistically, cannabis is far less addictive uh, than most drugs on the market that are that have been legal historically. Opioids, benzodiazepines, 40 percent of people get addicted to sleeping pills instantly, like or well, you know, within two to three weeks. But Tanner, I think I think it's I, I think it actually sits below coffee. <laughs> I think it. I think you're absolutely right, and and, <laughs> yeah. and 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 it's probably less detrimental, you know, because you know yeah. if I drink too much coffee, I get pretty angry in the morning. Yeah. So so, but but you know exactly. So like if if you look at the science, you look at the and and you know the main point I want to make here is that there's no such thing as the medical alcohol industry, but we have an entire medical cannabis industry, right? The medical cannabis industry is the only thing that's come and it's come back by the way it's not that it's just come for the first time it cannabis was the number one ingredient in in uh, it was something staggering like 60 to 70% of all medicinal formulations before 1920 had cannabis in it in some sort of concentration i've got two antique bottles in my office pre 1930 uh one of them is called Neurocene, and it's an antispasmatic, and it had cannabis indica in it. And the other one's a colic formula that veterinarians used to use that had chloroform, alcohol, and cannabis in it. You know, that was definitely knocking out that cow. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, and then all of a sudden, cannabis was just made illegal because it was a competitor to Tynol and aspirin the pharmaceutical industry. And the cotton industry was tired of everything being made of hemp. And here we are, 70 years later, trying to gain back all this ground on what is literally a, a there, there, I don't want to say there's no downsides because there's downsides to everything. There are negative side effects to everything, but it's really hard to, to, to understand why we're allowed to, to advertise alcohol, promote alcohol, and, and we've normalized alcohol so much while it's literally destroying our lives and then this other thing called cannabis, it actually helps people quit alcohol. It helps people with their pain. It's it's one of the only solutions for people to get off some of these intense, intense drugs that are harming their lives. And, and you know, once people are able to see that and understand that on mass, I, I, I think I think we'll we'll be able to turn the tides here. I concur, uh, Tanner. I mean, I think it's, uh, I just saw a, a, a trailer for reefer madness. It was floating around LinkedIn. I'm like, Oh 
yeah. you know, it's one of those slap your forehead, but, um, but, but you're right. Cause there's, there's, it is about the human condition in, 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 in particular, um, uh, when it comes to, 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 to cannabis, it's been, it's, it's been really, uh, demonized far, far more than, uh, it's almost too, uh, it's almost unusual, um, uh, to, to the, to the extent that it's been demonized over, over time. And, and then you just get into a cycle that this is, a, it's an, you know, it's an illicit drug and, and that's it, you know, you're born into that, that type of system and that's bad. Um, and, and to, to Tanner's point that, you know, there, there's, there's a certain age group that that's, that's just what it is. And it's not their fault. No, no, and no. It's, it's not their fault. They think like that because no. they've been fed that for yeah. their entire lives. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, 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 and there was a lot more trust in government institutions in, you know, I mean, we're, we're in a bit of a institutional trust crisis here right now, globally. Yeah. 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 And, and ironically, there are, there are, um, uh, uh, surprising age groups that are adopting cannabis in terms for, for pain management, those, those aches and pains, you know, uh, f- folks that are my parents' age, like, yeah, uh, what, are, you know, what kind of cream do you think I should go in and get, you know, or, yeah. or oil? And I'm, like, ah, I'm not giving medical advice, but you know, there's, there's, there's research that you can do. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it is part of the problem. Education and awareness is, uh, is, is going to be key and the ability to do that in a balanced way. Um, so don't, don't just support programs, funding programs that, that are about don't do drugs or don't do this or danger. It's, it's no, no. What is, what is the balanced, uh, what is the balanced message, you know, endocannabinoid system in the human body, you know, no receptors in the respiratory area, the, uh, the, the area that, uh, controls, uh, uh, respiratory function. There are no cannabis receptors in that area. Opioids there are. That's why when you overdose, you just stop breathing yeah. and you die. So, um, you know, we're, we're not afraid of that, but we're, we're, we're afraid of cannabis. So it's yeah, interesting. Cause, yeah. Cause we've been told, and we should be afraid of, uh, you know, uh, most, most prescription pills cause they're incredibly dangerous and it says so on the bottle yeah. and it says so in the warnings, you know, opioids, we have a huge opioid crisis in, in New Brunswick. We have, we have a, we have a, a method, a, a method, we have a meth crisis. We've got, we've got people lined up you know, for daily doses of a different opioid uh, uh, called methadone that's helping, that's supporting these, you know, our, our, our friends and family's addictions um, because they got hooked on these incredibly powerful drugs. And some of them, it happened through a prescription, right? And, and, and others, it just happened because for some reason, these 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 really dangerous prescription drugs are so accessible. Well, they're coming from doc. They're coming from prescriptions. They're coming from the pharmacies, right? So so we so we're in areas that we should be immensely controlled and regulated. That you know something seemed to have gotten away there, and then with with this with this other thing that is actually the safer option, right? So cannabis should be 
the first option or the first thing that a doctor goes to because the harm is so minimal, right? You know, so, okay, you, you know, let's try this out first. And if this thing doesn't work, then we need to go to the more dangerous the more dangerous alternative, which could be an opioid or a benzodiazepine. So, so I'm not saying there's no place for those drugs because there is a place for those drugs, but it's just we need to proceed with extreme uh, caution. And, and, you know, this, this incredibly, you know, safer option, uh, we, we need to really rally around this. And, and you know, and here's the thing, we, we control our own supply, Right, we're, we're manufacturing and growing and farming this drug right here in New Brunswick. So we control the quality, we control the supply. We're inventing formulations, we're inventing treatments and creams and topicals right here in this province. So you know, there's you know, we're seeing we're seeing it right now with the vaccines. Right, you know, food security, drug security. Right, you know. It's important, and this is and this this is something we have with the cannabis yeah. industry, right? Let's not get into vaccines. Is you know, <laughs> we're, we're we're fully willing to take the jab after six months of development. Can you, can you <laughs> Are we going to go into a vaccine podcast no, now? No, I think no, we no, need no. another hour. I think oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> uh, well, all right, guys. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, did you, anything else to add from your end, Brennan, before we wrap? No, I, I think that we just need to continue the discussion um, much more broadly and, and figure out a way to do that to, to be able to convene. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of differing opinions. And, um, and you know, how do we manage that to, to progress forward? And I think we should really um, try and, and leverage the momentum that, that Tanner's created, that Chief Augustine has created, that the municipalities have uh, sort of come together here and, um, and, and, and try and, like Tanner says, lean into it. We really do need to lean into it. What about your end, Tanner? Uh, no, I think I've said lots. I, I just appreciate you having me on uh, here, Mark. And and you know this is this is the this is exactly like Brennan said. This is this is helping drive forward the uh, the conversation. Right. Uh, the more the more we can talk about this, and the more New Brunswickers can hear about what's really going on in the industry and the potential and uh, of it, the better. So. All right. Well, thanks very much, guys. I really appreciate talking to you. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. You've been listening to the latest episode of Huddle Home Office. Thanks, Brennan and Tanner, for the great chat. Huddle Home Office is produced by me, Mark Legere, and Sharice Letson. You can subscribe to the show on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend us to a friend. Talk to you next week.